every now and then when I'm banging on about a new phone or a new application of AI, someone will say, I'm not really that techie. And I reply, well, how do you get things done? If you want to send a message to someone, do you... Or... When you do your weekly shop, how do you pay? Or... And be honest, if you need to find the number of a plumber, are you more likely to pick up a yellow pages or pop it into Google? All of these processes have been made quicker and easier because of my beloved technology. A lot of it has been done before our very eyes without us realizing just how sophisticated the tech in use really is. Over the next hour here on News Talk, we're gonna take a closer look at digital transformation. What does that mean? What are the benefits? And we'll hear how one business we know and love has embraced it to make how they sell shoes that bit better. Embedded Tech and Town, thanks to Salesforce. Celebrating 20 years helping Irish businesses, people and communities grow. This is News Talk. Everything from paying for public transport to recording your favourite TV show on Series Link has been transformed in recent years. The rate of change is just breathtaking. Small tweaks and changes have been made and there has been an absolute reimagining of how things should be done. Nick Healy is the Solutions Director at Convergent and I sat down with him to talk about digital transformation over the last two decades. I started by asking him for a clear definition of what digital transformation really means. Well, digital transformation has been around, the, the, the term digital transformation has been around for quite a while uh, and it would have started off probably 20, 25 years ago um, when we, with the launch of, you know, scanning technologies um, where we were, had been typically been dealing solely with paper-based processes. Uh, and the big thing at that time was being able to scan a document into a digital uh, image and then use that um, to maybe feed some various basic processes and so forth. Um, and from that, we've now gone all the way through over the last probably 20 years, really. And, and But to, to more, it really accelerated in the last 10 years um, with the evolution of um, software as a service, cloud, uh, the development of applications to where we are now able to operate completely digitally in an office environment or even from uh, a home-based uh, office, which is obviously very common now, um, and that they're able to communicate and operate within the normal processes that an organization has. So without any requirement for 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 paper or any, any, anything like that. So it's a complete, what we kind of, kind of call it a cradle to grave um, approach for organizations for the capturing of initial uh, transactions such as phone calls, uh, could be emails, it could be evol it could still be a letter in the door, well, mm -hmm. you never know, um, and capturing that, transforming it into digital form and running that through um, the, the main core process of what an organization does from cradle to grave until that deliver that that service is delivered or the goods are, are delivered or the the uh, whatever the, the the core business may be for that organization so that's what we could talk about digital transformation getting to that point where information flows seamlessly from cradle to grave um, without any requirement for paper mm -hmm. um, or even transfer of information between different systems. But that's kind of a little uh, a higher level of, of, of the conversation. Yeah, so, so at, the, at the most fundamental level, it sounds like it's all about efficiencies. It's just making, you know, yes. what would have been a 10-step process suddenly, you know, a two- or three-step process, which sounds fantastic. But you mm. mentioned there, you know, it's 20 or 25 years ago. And when you say those numbers, it seems like forever ago. But we're talking about like the year 2000, like from 95 to 2000, we saw a huge change, which it like, I'm old enough to remember that, so it's mm. not that long mm. ago. Um, yeah. How affordable or how accessible were, was this type of technology to begin with? Because I even remember, you know, getting our first PC at home and they were quite expensive back in the day. They were huge, they were bulky. Was it the same when it came to these software and um, sort of technological processing software uh, offerings? 
Oh, they, absolutely. I mean, in the initial days, they were, you know, it was literally enterprise level that uh, these kind of technologies were that were available to and at huge prices. Um, and, and that's one of the, the big things that uh, software as a service has, has given us. It has given us affordability of software. Um, whereas in, in, you know, 20, 25 years ago, um, the kind of technologies I mentioned before were really only available to the very large organizations uh, that had, you know, very large um, uh, amount of employees in the organizations. Um, so because the, the investments were huge and we still see those systems, they're still, they're, they're still around because the investments were so big back then, you know, they, they're, they're still there and they're still being used to certain extents. So the affordability element has, 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 been, has been massive um, because it's brought that uh, the, the the efficiencies that enterprise used to try and um, uh, to try and achieve it's brought that down to the ba- you know to your small SME based businesses now and it's available to those now so and and a lot of that was based on first of all the softwares back then were typically deployed on a on an, on an organization's own infrastructures or hardware. So they would require great servers, you know, a lot of networking, uh, et cetera. Whereas now, because of the cloud-based um, uh, nature of, of software as a service now, all you need is a broadband connection. And, and that doesn't matter if you're enterprise, really, or, or a one-man band working from your kitchen. Um, so that, that, that the, that's, that's the big mm-hmm. affordability difference. The, big, the other big thing as well is is what's dropped hugely is training. Um, the development of softwares, software as a service and app-based softwares uh, an awful lot have made the usability of software a lot easier. Before, 20 years ago, my God, you need a degree to be able to use some of the software that, that, was, uh, that was available or that was uh, rolled out in enterprise. Now it's a far more um, um, user-friendly, the UX or the user design element of things is excellent now. There's been a lot of work and studies been put into that and development of that over the last 20 years. So it's it it, it you know it, it it's changed dramatically. The landscape has changed changed hugely. I mean, you can even now, you know, some of the the apps that are available or cloud-based uh, uh, softwares that are available online, you know, you can use it for a month, subscribe mm-hmm. for a month, and then turn it off and then not have to use it again. So achieve what you wanted to do and then go back to uh, and then turn it off and not pay for it any further. So it's it, it's really got very very flexible. So affordability is definitely uh, you know a, a huge factor uh, uh, in this. Yeah, you, you hit upon something interesting there, which is the, the mention of the fact that some of these services, a lot of them now, are available on the cloud. Because back yeah. in the day, I imagine there were some compatibility issues between the operating system of the device the company wanted to use and then a software. Like again, from a consumer point of view. I remember like bawling, crying, screaming out when my iPod wasn't compatible with the home computer. Like stuff like that happened and it got in the way of the efficiency and the smooth running. And it's almost laughable now as we sit here in 2020 and everything can be pretty much accessed from a web browser. Yeah. And and it, that that to me is, is is a huge thing. When I say to people that, uh, you know, I, 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 run, I can run my business from my phone. Mm. And they look at me as if I've got 10 heads and say, how, how, how could that be possible? Um, but it is possible. And um, it's it, 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 most systems now will have uh, apps that give you that are, you know, you can install on any piece of uh, any any device, be it a, a, in, irrespective of what operating system it's on. Um, and that those applications can then connect to the, the, the cloud based servers in which the application typically sits, be it be it a hosted service or your own cloud um, that that an applications are, are are sitting on, so that level of of um, access and, and interoperability um, is, is is really opened up a lot an awful lot. Now, the one down the one pitfall of that is that um, a lot of the kind of off the shelf um, let's say integration or connectors that are available. So there are a lot of you know, any applications that are developed now out there will say that they are, you know, com- com- or not compatible isn't the word, but they are, they have connectors for certain, for other systems that are the, maybe ERP systems or, you know, Google connectors or or Microsoft SharePoints, all, all these different kind of connectors. And and that's fine, but it can be quite basic. As, so that's the, sometimes that's one of the pitfalls is that if an organization wants to do something a little bit, you know, 
you know, off uh, off center or something that's a little bit unusual or quite specific to the way their organization operates. That's sometimes where things can grind to a bit of a halt and then that they they, they may need some help and special, you know, um, specialist help with that in order to get that to work. So there is a little bit of a myth out there that everything will talk to each other and everything is happy clappy in the cloud. Um, it, it, it is at a basic level. Um, when it gets to something a little more complicated, that's typically when when some organizations or a lot of organizations will have to bring some kind of specialist in there to help to make that happen. Mm. Um, but it, it it really depends on what you want to do. Um, but the, it is something to keep in mind that it you know we all, I always say that say that you know cla- you know there's this myth and it was one of the greatest marketing uh, messages ever ever uh, ever created was the the cloud and once you're in the cloud everything is possible everything is not possible a lot is possible but everything is not possible and sometimes we'll see with uh, many of our clients that they still use their on-prem systems because it gives them the distinct functionality that they require for you know for their particular needs processes and requirements they have internally so it's not the panacea of everything Mm -hmm. um but it's certainly opened up a lot of opportunities. Yeah, because I have interviewed a number of um, the SaaS type companies and they will have their generic product, which anyone who pays for it can get. And then they'll have yeah. specialist teams internally who can yes. adapt the platform to whatever their specific client needs yeah. are. We, we talked at the top about efficiencies and I'm a numbers buff. So like, is there any, like, can we measure, are there any metrics in terms of the level of efficiencies this type of digital transformation has brought? brought into the world because you know if we go from you know faxing getting the fax machine setting it up putting a piece of paper in writing your message down sending it across you know you can almost visualize the 101 steps in that process so how can you measure the efficiencies or is it just that it's chalk and cheese they're so different that you can't really put a number on it no it can be done i mean just as you said if you're able to map out those various boxes along that the current process, right, and 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 you know it, it, it can it, now it can be a, it can be a tedious um, exercise to do, you know, because it, it's hard to to cover all the bases. But if you know you, you literally, the, the, it's back to basic business, uh, you know, process engineering um, that where you look at the current state. You look at the future state and you compare the two, and that's that. From that, you're able to calculate the time savings, the, the financial savings, the gained efficiencies, uh, the the reduced resources that you require, all those kind of things. It, it, it's a very doable exercise. In fact, it's a very valuable exercise to do, because from that you're able to 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 you're able to deduce whether. Uh, the investment that's required to get to that that you know that future state that you're trying to get to is worthwhile, and then you can you can calculate your return on that. So it's an, it, it is absolutely um, a very valuable exercise to do. You know, and 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 it's 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 not that it's difficult to do. It just it just takes a little bit of time. You got to talk to people. You got to watch people to see what they actually do. Um, you've got to map out the various steps. You've got to sit there sometimes with a, with a stopwatch and find out, you know, how long does it take someone, for example, to manually enter an invoice into an accounts package, right? Mm. Um, and and sometimes the answers that you'll be given are actually very different to what it is in what it is in reality. So you've got to get down and dirty, um, and see really, you know, what is involved in getting your process currently from a, you know, for, right from start to finish, and then look at what what is available on the table and see and, and compare the differences in that. So it, it, the one element, the, the one area where you'll always gain a lot of efficiencies when it comes down to going digital, digitalizing um, processes is typically around your, 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 your administrative processes that kind of exist in, in every organizations from finance, uh, HR, uh, health and safety, whatever that might, wherever they might be, there's, you know, there, there's, there's lots of them that are, that are quite standard. They're the ones that organizations are easily able to tackle, um, you know, starting when they're starting off in this road, because they're the, they're, they're the obvious ones. They're the ones that have, you know, they're, they're the most bums in the seats um, trying to operate them and track them on a daily basis. <laughs> they are um, they're the ones where all the efficiencies are so so and typically what they are is they are a cost rather than a contribution to the mm-hmm. organization. So they're the ones that want to be targeted first if you free up the resources those and resources in those 
in those areas to do more, to do greater things or more things that are more that contribute to the bottom line rather than add to the bottom line, then you're on a winner. So they're, they're typically where organizations where organizations start. So efficiencies is absolutely the, the main goal. And, and, and you know, I, I often say it as well. Sometimes sometimes there aren't any. Mm. Sometimes it it is not the right decision to do. It, it it's all down to that uh, actual uh, that type that that particular business, but it, and, know, and how they operate. Yeah, well, one thing um, when we hear the word efficiencies in uh, workplaces, particularly at the moment, a lot of people's backs go up and think, "Oh God, that might mean redundancies, or it might mean yeah. you know ch- changing in sure. people practices." You know, personally speaking, and this is because I'm a tech advocate, right? I don't necessarily look at digital transformation equating replacement or removal of people. Surely the digital transformation is freeing up the people to do more Mm. meaningful, more detailed, more human orientated tasks than the repetitive, uh, say, admin, you know, input and removal uh, type work. Exactly. And and we, you know, we deal with organizations of various different sizes um all the time and in this eight, eight nine years that we've been doing this now i have yet to actually see a person made redundant because of what we do um i've seen lots of people being redeployed into different areas and often it's areas that they're interested in uh, rather than doing something that they're, they're they're an administrative role repetitive task data entry whatever it might be you know paper checking paper pushing um that kind of stuff uh, into something that where their where their contribution is of value to the organization and 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 that has a big that is attractive to, to people as well and sometimes it takes you know you're gonna have a, a, a you know honest conversations have to be had mm-hmm. um and you've got to um find out you know is are there you know how would they like to contribute where where what else would they like to do where do they see the uh where do they see their time best spent within the organization rather than doing what they're doing right now and then that will open opportunities i mean it it, it it's like everything you know it, it's like you know go back to the to to the the um the industrial age at the start of it everyone thought that robots were going to were, were going to take over uh, and do everything but it, it 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 that's not what happens we 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 tend to evolve humanity evolves work evolves the definition of work evolves um and we tend to replace the mundane repetitive um task that that man has had to do with with yeah with automation but it opens up as you said all these opportunities for the things and and whole new industries and whole new even departments within 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 organizations as well so it's really yes it can be scary for people sometimes and it can be a challenge but when when people, I, I always ask uh, when, when I'm with clients that when, and we deploy these systems and you go back six months, 12 months later, I say, would you go back to where you were before? And the mm-hmm. answer is always, always an emphatic no way. Absolutely no way. But, you know, you know although we mentioned the, how the, the price of these types of software platforms and structures have come down dramatically, is it still a bit cost prohibitive or is the notion of it still a bit cost prohibitive for some of the SMEs out there? Do they perceive this to be something that firstly is either too far out of their price range or perhaps that they perceive that they won't get the full value out of it to invest in it in the first place? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, value, that word value is very important here because <clears throat> what happens, what, what what can happen is that especially with SMEs, because, you know, they don't have the budgets, perhaps that well, they don't, let's face it, they have the budgets that, you know, enterprise would have um, for that, or, or the internal resources to do it. Um, there's there's always a challenge in rolling in something like this out. It, it, you know, it, it, it's going to distract from something else, it's going to distract from the day-to-day um, ro- roles when the organization, they're going to have to commit some resources internally to do it as well. And typically, um, you know, if they want to, if they want to roll something out that's going to make, you know, a, a drastic change in their organization, or it's going to be, you know, um, you know, bringing a high level of automation, they will need some external um, help as well. But what what I would say is that what we're seeing is that in the SME section se- sector is that the I, I I find my or my experience of it is that with SMEs they are far more, uh, you know, efficiency uh, orientated than enterprise level mm. because they've got to be they've got to be they've got if they want to compete they have to everything has to be tuned to the very last 
Um, there can't be any deadwood within the organization. There can't be any log jams within their processes. They have to work as efficiently as possible. And that's, but that's exactly why um, uh, software as a service is, is, is the perfect solution for these guys because they don't have the large licensing cost which typically comes in any software up front which used to be there you know even up to five years ago uh, everything the licensing models were different there was perpetual versus subscription based licensing so they'd have to buy their software up front you know large capital expense up front and then still pay uh, generally an, an annual support fee for that whereas now a software as a service is, you know, it's a small monthly fee per user. So it's a it's a manageable expense. It becomes basically an overhead rather than a capital expenditure expenditure expenditure. Um, so it's it's far easier to budget. And it then enable it frees up that capital that they would initially have had to throw into a project like this into you in, into um, specialization and getting um, the right people on the ground to be able to really make their solutions home for them, you know, mm. and, and, and get get the full get the full level of efficiencies that that is possible out of the software that they're that they're now paying for. Um, that 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 is one of the, the biggest challenges we see, because a lot of the time. Um, companies will will try and maybe do things uh, themselves, for example, but typically get as little as 30, 40 percent of the efficiencies they, they originally wanted out of the software because they're, you know, it, let, let's face it, it's not what they do. It's not their it's not their day job. And it's difficult to go from your normal day job into to be, uh, you know, a, a software uh, configuration expert or a business process engineer or and that's typically what's what's required for these things so mm. there, there's a balance there that you know there, there's a mix of being of, of balancing those costs to get the right the, the right expertise on the ground yes it is an investment but it'll mean that you're going to gain those efficiencies that you originally set out to, to originally set out to get um, and you'll then you're then going to maximize the return that you're putting into mm. that software for every, every month so we've seen dramatic transformation obviously enough in the last 20 years but am I right in thinking that you know we could see even more change coming in the next five years because the rate of change in tech is in consumer tech is breathtaking so I can only imagine what's going on in the enterprise space sure it is it's it's um and it's something that it's a growing factor in that decision-making process for organizations now. You know, am I buying something that's going to be redundant in two years' time? Mm-hmm. And that's that's a huge risk. Now, so so how do we how do we alleviate that 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 risk? And and what I would say is that, well, just to, I suppose take it back a step a little bit. What we see a lot of is that organizations um will invest in a multitude of different systems because you know that expression there's an app for that yeah right <laughs> so they see it you know there's an expenses app or there might be a holiday leave app or there may be whatever you know they're they're, they're, they're all out there there's dozens of them there's you name it um you can get them for any price at every at, at any level um and what happens then with those is that they sit as an isolated um system in a cloud somewhere not owned by the organization themselves and there's information trapped in there. So there's, and then you multiply that by 10, 15 times the very, various different systems, and you get totally you get these what we call silos of information that don't talk to each other. Mm-hmm. And one, of the, and and then, you know, one of them may become return, redundant, or they're upgraded, or they're discontinued, and stuff like that. So you get you, you get a lot of problems. That what we what we focus on, and what the the industry is or is is beginning to um, push towards now is more of that platform delivery of of solutions for organizations, where it's not this multitude of different systems like a small application for something very specific. They are platforms where organizations are able to configure very simple applications because most applications really at the end of the day are are quite simple you know mm-hmm. the, it, it, you know uh, you know a, a holiday request app app is, is not a very difficult piece of technology it's just that people tend to grab it because it's there and it's easy, easy to put some initial information in and let it run and it's it's ready to be rolled out on on, on uh, various devices but if if app, app the application or sorry the platform um, uh, approach means that even you're you're, you're using one um, software or platform to configure basic um, uh, applications on it that can all be rolled out um, in, in in their various guises to lots of different devices as well, 
And then if they do become redundant, you're just turning off that particular application, but you're still got the same software. Mm -hmm. Okay. Or you, or you modify that application for what's now required or what may be required a couple of years down, down the line. What also happens with platform applications is that they, they tend to evolve with the technology as well. Um, so, for example, you'll see platforms now that are, that are beginning to introduce a lot of um, AI um, opportunities. So you'll see the, the introduction of, of the technologies like AI, um, bots, um, all these clever things that are, that, that are available out there that no doubt will 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 have a huge um, impact on things. Um, and as you said, rightly, not even five years. They're here now, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, and it is there. It's incredible what this what, what these uh, technologies are capable of doing. So, yeah, you, you've, you've got to be you've got to be. Uh, I, mean, I mean, again, you've got to be strategic in your decision making. You've got to look five years down the road and sometimes five years is too far down the road because things change to can can change very very quickly but even if you even if you look two to three years down the road and see okay where's your organization going how do we want to operate what 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 services or goods are we going to be delivering and what is the technology that we're going to require to be able to support that um and where are we now and how are we and how are they going to get there and then built into that roadmap that that, that needs to be developed is you know, mitigation for risks such as, you know, changes in technology or heaven forbid another pandemic or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever it might be. Um, that's, that's all got to be built into that. So that if, if, if things don't go to plan or, or certain things changes or your technology, technology change, you know, it's more of a, that, that path, there's a bit of a slight curve rather than a complete U-turn. Yeah, so, so, so there's a lot to it. It's not simple, but it's definitely it, worth it. <laughs> it, it exactly. It, it, yeah. I, and, and, and I, you know, I, I, I don't like to be the bearer of, of bad news, but it's not bad news. It's reality. This yeah. isn't, you know, this isn't something that can be taken lightly. If you're going to, if you want to take it, if you want to take it seriously, you need to engage in it. You need to put the resources in it and you need to see it through. That's, that's the, the, the one thing. And often going back to the point on people not gaining the full efficiency that a software that they've invested in, that's because they haven't seen the projects through to the end. They, they, you know, they get to 40% and then, and, and people either get uh, annoyed with it or, or they get tired of it or, mm-hmm. you know, or, or they just say, look, we've, well, we've, we've done enough. And then something bright and shiny appears down in a year's time that's some, that, that looks a little bit fancier and they go for that and there's another system and so forth. So there, you've got to be, You've got to be thorough. You've got to ensure that you're getting those returns on, on, on your investment and, and that you're gaining those efficiencies every time. Nikhili of Convergent, thank you so much for your time. No problem, Jess. Nice to talk to you. That was Nikhili, Solutions Director at Convergent. Coming up next, how has lifestyle sports embraced digital? Embedded. Tech and Town. On News Talk. Thanks to Salesforce. Celebrating 20 years helping Irish businesses, people and communities grow. This is Embedded Tech in Town with Jess Kelly here on News Talk. Gordon Newman is the go-to-market director at Lifestyle Sports. We all know Lifestyle as the brand with the blue logo. They sell trainers, they sell jerseys, they sell tracksuits. But how have they embraced digital over the last two decades? I sat down with Gordon and asked him to tell me a little bit more about the business and how it was back in the year 2000. Um, well, Lifestyle Sports is an Irish business and, and always has been. It was founded in 1979. It's that old. It, it's over 40 years old. Wow. So, so it's a well-established brand. Back in 2000, uh, the business was very different to how it looks today. We had over 70 stores um, and obviously we had no, no real online presence to mm-hmm. speak of. So a, a much different shape of business um, than it is today. And um, and it's been through several changes of ownership since um, um, since it was founded. It was originally part of Quinsworth. Then um, it was owned by Tesco in 1997. Uh, it became independent. And in 2006, it was acquired by Stafford Holdings, who own the business today. Okay, so it's gone through a few iterations. I'm always intrigued when um, we get to talk through the transformation of a business into the online space because as you mentioned there 70 stores more than 70 stores is a huge footprint but the arrival of the internet as we know it today has been game changing everything from finding your local store finding what time it's open at seeing you know if they have the color sneakers that you want 
so at what stage did lifestyle sports start to embrace those different elements and how much of a shift was it from the traditional sort of word of mouth or you know footfall uh, type of business um, well, I, I joined the business back in 2011, and at the time, the CEO, Mark Stafford, uh, wanted to build an online presence that was world class. And if you think back to, to 2011, which is just nine years ago, mm. there was not a lot of Irish business online. And those that were online weren't doing it particularly well, ourselves included. We we dipped our toe in and, and quickly pulled our toe back out. Mm-hmm. Um, so in 2011, we set about benchmarking ourselves against the best online retailers in the world and tried to build that and bring that to um, bring that to Ireland, um, and and we had significant success over over the first few years of that, and we, we built out our business plan for the first five years and found that there was huge acceleration uh, beyond what we'd forecast and and needed to revise our plan upwards. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's been a solid growth trajectory since then. Um, But it has resulted in wholesale change throughout our business in terms of everything from um, our systems and the way that um, the way that data flows across our business mm-hmm. right the way through to the skills of the people that work with us. Yeah, because that's something, again, that I'm really interested in. For a, a retail um, brand and company such as yourselves, the key thing I imagine back in the day would have been great salespeople, great managers, good HR, like all of those structures to make sure that your people are best enabled to make sales in person. But bringing a business and particularly bringing a brand online, because you don't want just any sports store. You want the customer to know that they're on Lifestyle Sports website, that they're interacting with you guys. So how did you go about doing that? And again, 2011 wasn't that long ago. But even five years ago, I remember doing a a report for the Pat Kenny show about how not many Irish businesses had a fantastic footprint online. So I'd imagine there was a lot of planning in the background to get it just right. Yeah, there was a huge amount of planning involved. And and as you mentioned, great salespeople, um, great HR, great buyers, they're still as important as ever mm-hmm. today. We have added additional skills within our business, and that's been really important for us in, in driving success for it. Um, but it has changed the way that we need to think about how customers interact with us. And we see ourselves as an omni-channel retailer, and we want the experience in store and the experience online to be very, very similar and just as good, and just as engaging and bring those things about our brand really to life. Great range, multiple um, offerings from multiple brands, um, super service and actually translating that across um, across the digital space. That was quite challenging, but it all started with what was the experience that we wanted to create for our customers mm-hmm. and then what technology will facilitate that for us. And I'm often asked if we're now a technology business yeah. rather than a retail business, but we're still an omni-channel retail brand that utilizes technology in order to provide service to to our customers when and where they want it for the things that they want. I think it's a, it's a it's an easy one I'd imagine to get wrong of bringing a lot of product into the online space because the beauty of going in like trainers like runners as we call them are my weakness, right? I buy a million and one pairs that I would never ever like have enough time to wear, but I just love them. And the beauty of going into a physical retail store is that you go in to look at one thing and then something else catches your eye and then something else catches your eye and all of a sudden you've got four boxes under your arms. I assume from a business point of view, you want to emulate that same experience. You don't want something to be hidden from the customer so that they just see the one brand or you know the, the one type of runner or whatever it is. And that's one of the challenges that we had of how do we make recommendations mm. to customers based on based on the things that they've looked at, the things that they like, their past purchase history, everything that we know about them, what can we show to that customer that would interest them and interest them to the point where they get excited enough to buy it. And that's where our technology partners come in. 
So instead of us trying to build that capability, because we're never going to be a business with thousands of software engineers, we'll then seek out partners that enable us to, to deliver that experience to, to customers. And, and we would use um, a multitude of, of different partners for so different like who things. because we as the customer we, we never think about who's running the back end of a website nobody gives a toss we just want our product and so there could be the perception that you know lifestyle sports now uh, you know employs 1100 uh, software engineers to tweak every element of this so who are some of the partners that we would never ever know about but have been key to the online offering that we see today well, I suppose if, if we start off with the front end of the mm -hmm. website, and, and that's, the, that's really interesting because that's the bit that customers see and that's the bit that customers interact with. So we work with Salesforce um, using the Commerce Cloud platform, which gives us a lot of flexibility, but actually gives us, gives us stability and allows us to worry about things like the customer experience whilst they look after um, the software engineering and stability and, and security. So Salesforce will be a key partner, but we then layer in other partners on top of that. So one of the big cha challenges that we have is around sizing mm -hmm. and returns, making sure people get the right size. So um, we work with a company called Fit Analytics who um, have a customized size guide solution and that will, that will sit with you on the website. It will work out what size you are and it will recommend what size you should buy mm -hmm. across the different brands that we sell and the different products that we sell. So there'll be lots of technology partners like that plugged in. And then, of course, sitting underneath that is uh, quite a complex integration layer that allows the front end, the bit that customers see, talk to our back end systems, which tells us how much stock do we have available of a particular product in real time? How much, um, how long is our delivery promise going to take? Which then links through our ERP systems once an order is placed. And that links through to then our, our warehouse and allows us to, to, to ship that order out to, to a customer. So at, at a base level, there's, there's lots of different types of technology. Mm -hmm. But fundamentally, it's all about capturing data, transforming it, making it useful and using that to create an experience. And that can go right from right from product recommendations through to what is the best, most most stable payments platform yeah. that we could have in place so that we can offer customers the the widest range of, of payment mechanisms so it suits them on how they would like to pay. We uh, heard from Nick Healy of Convergent in the first part of this programme and he was talking through the notion of digital transformation and, it, and at its most fundamental, that is the streamlining of processes to make it as efficient as possible, both for the end user and the, and, uh, the business behind the offering as well. Have you noticed or, you know, I said earlier on, I'm a bit of an, a, a numbers buff, like I love the stats and all the rest. Could you measure the efficiencies that you have gathered by, you know, optimizing your online offering? Um, yeah, it, it is possible to measure the efficiencies, but where we like to focus on is is how are we improving the customer experience? Mm -hmm. Because efficiency is one benefit from this, but you could make something incredibly efficient and it would just lack joy. Okay. And building joy in for customers to use and building an element of, of this is actually better than I thought it was going to be is, is actually where, where the real win is and where you can get your real growth. Mm -hmm. as, as, as an Irish business, it's really important for us to be able to deliver an experience that competes on a world stage. So if you order from us at 10 o'clock in the evening, that you get your package the following morning. And that takes a huge amount of, of streamlining and efficiency to be able to deliver that service to a customer. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's where we see the efficiency benefits of layering in a additional experiences um, for customers. Another, th another great example we have is in 2014, uh, we, we used um, our online presence to, um, to extend our stores so that if, you don't if we don't have a size in stock or if we don't have a particular color in that store at that time, then one of our sales team can order that for you straight away. Mm -hmm. And that, the key thing for that is that if they order it for you on Wednesday, that on Thursday morning that arrives at your front door. And that's where we see that the streamlining and 
And that's where efficiency really comes into play. Yeah, and as you said, it's a better customer experience. Did entering the online space, though, put you in competition with people uh, and brands and organisations that aren't sports stores? Because if I can't find the particular colour of Adidas superstars that I'm wearing now on your website, I might then go to another company, maybe an international company, maybe someone who, you know, only is stocking huge amount of trainers because they have the warehouse space. Does that put pressure on and introduce other competition? Or, you know, what's the thinking around that? Well, that competition has always been there okay so that so that competition hasn't gone away Mm -hmm. Um, what our job as a retailer is is to do is to actually when we're looking at our product assortment is to use all of the information that we have around what customers are looking for and what their preferences are and translate that into our buying process and we talk a lot about increasing the digital literacy across the business and we use lots of data points um right the way through all of our processes, not just from a sales perspective, but also from a buying and merchandising and forecasting perspective. And that's really important for us as a business because that allows us to try and get the right shoe in front of the right person at the right time and then give them some alternatives across a multitude of different brands Mm. um, that they may also be interested in. Uh, what about social media? I know that some brands would do uh, sort of consumer sentiment tracking online. You know, if there is a big issue. So if, uh, you know, they're completely sold out, if there's a big hype about a certain type of trainer or a certain tracksuit or a certain jersey and it sells out within minutes and people might go on social media to have a bitch and a moan, it, it's, it's a good indicator, I suppose, as to where the consumer mood is. But is that something that you would look at as sort of a gauge for what your customers want? Yes, Absolutely. Um, we we run a number of social media channels across Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and and we constantly look at sentiment. We constantly look at things that customers are discussing or potential customers are discussing, and and we match our activities to to, to what we try and match our activities to what customers want. Mm. Um, in the case of something selling out very quickly, then then we need to respond to that very quickly on social media. Um, and give customers an indication of when they are likely to to be able to buy that product again, if it is going to be available again in the future. Social media plays a really important role within our business. Mm. And, you know, in terms of the, you mentioned there about the customer data and personalizing suggestions and personalizing offerings and so on. My favorite topic in the world, GDPR. Uh, how did that impact how you go about that? Because we all know about the cookies now. So the little notification will pop up, that annoying one will say, do you accept the cookies? Everyone just hits accept without even reading and fully understanding what it means. But did you have to change some of the market marketing mechanisms that you would have used in the past, perhaps, you know, direct email marketing, for example? So GDPR was challenging when it, it was first implemented. But we've always taken the same approach to marketing, mm. which is that unsolicited marketing generally doesn't work. So what GDPR allowed us to do was ensure that the customers that were opting in to, to receive information from us and receive messages from us, um, they were doing that because they were genu- genuinely interested. Okay. So we were able to see uplift in response rates by managing that data and managing customers' preferences more closely. So in some ways, we've seen a benefit from it. I think the businesses that have been challenged were those businesses that weren't adopting good opt-in practices in the first place. Yeah, nobody likes being spammed. It's just not fun for anyone. Um, Another trend that we have seen in this space is the online messenger. Uh, So whether that is on Facebook or on websites and so on, I know there's one tech brand in particular and it drives me insane because every time you go onto the website, a window pops up going, this is the last thing you looked at. Do you want to buy it? Do you want to buy it? Do you want to buy it? And although that example is frustrating, it can be used in a really beneficial way. I, I was in, um, I was at Web Summit in Lisbon two or three years ago and I was sitting down with the head of Facebook Messenger and he gave the example in the US of Tommy Hilfiger. So if you uh, are, if you follow or like or support or whatever the technical term is, Tommy Hilfiger in the US on Facebook, you can then directly chat to the Facebook Messenger and you can say, 
Do you have a blue shirt in a size whatever in your store on Grafton Street in Dublin? And the chatbot could come back to you saying yes, no, maybe so. And that's a very useful tool and it reduces the number of calls to stores and so on. Is that something that you guys have looked at in terms of implementing? Um, we think chatbots are really interesting. So we have a web chat service on, on our site at the moment. Uh, that will actually connect you to um, one of our customer service a human. team. It, it connects you <laughs> to a real person. Wow. And you'll be amazed at how many of these chats our, our customer support team can, can juggle yeah. at any given time. So at, on our roadmap for this, we will we will start looking at, right, what are the questions that we think a bot could answer? Mm. But back to your earlier point, we need to ensure that we've got absolutely accurate data available to that bot because the bot itself um, doesn't have that interpretive technology mm-hmm. built within it. It will relay facts to consumers. So our challenge will be to ensure that the information that we're passing to the bot is 100% accurate, that there is some contextual awareness. Mm -hmm. And if this is something that a bot can't answer, it's very quickly connected to a real person that will be able to interpret the request and respond accordingly. And that loops back into what that, that, that main point of what is the customer experience that we're trying to create and how do we want the customer to feel once they've finished shopping with us online. Yeah, and that's a really interesting point as well, just about um, customer service in the digital age, because it's very easy, it's very quick and easy to go online and buy something within 30 seconds. I've done it many, 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 many times. And you don't really have either a positive or a negative sentiment towards the brand. You're just like, I got what I wanted and that was the height of it. So how do you ensure you don't just have that sort of cold uh, relationship with your customers? How do you keep brand brand sentiment and customer loyalty? Because you want that person to come back time and again. But if they're not interacting with the human or if they're not looking for that extra level of support, that's a bit of a difficult thing to try and create. One of the things that we do is we ask customers what they think. Okay. So we ask them for reviews of the service. We ask them for um, reviews of the product that they've bought. And from there, we're able to start gauging sentiment to the mm-hmm. experience that they have. And inevitably, um, because we offer this uh, next day delivery promise, if a, con- if a customer, um, if we hit that next day delivery promise, usually they will give us a five-star review. If we miss that by a day, then that five-star quickly becomes a one-star and there'll be some some commentary about it, which we'll monitor carefully, we'll pick up, and we'll go back to that customer and we'll talk to them about it. Mm-hmm. Um, the same on product. We will ask them how they thought um, the product fitted, how they thought, um, did they think the product represented good value for them? Um, and if, if they, they come back to us and say, well, actually, there's a problem on your website and I bought a size medium, but it was too small, we can take that information back into our broader teams and we can look at our sizing then. Mm-hmm. And that's th- that links into the digital literacy piece of, of what is the information that we're getting from customers because we're asking them for it when they tell us something. What do we then do with it and ensuring that we've got a process that enables us to take that and actually change things so that the experience is better for the next time? Uh, We're in a funny time at the moment, as everyone has said to death. And I'm just wondering, um, how is this going to influence the next stage of the company? Because I have and we did it here on uh, my other show, Tech Talk. Every day for, or every week for the first few weeks of the COVID experience, we gave shout out to Irish businesses so that people could support local, they could shop local, they could, you know, back our own. And I think that is something that people are very mindful of. I think people are very mindful of environmental responsibilities of businesses and brands and so on. But then there's also, we're all very time poor. So we want things yesterday, not tomorrow. We want them yesterday. So looking ahead, and I don't mean five years, I mean next 18 months to two years. What's coming down the tracks from you guys and how will technology enable you to get there a bit faster? That's a really good question. I need to think about it for a second. (laughs) I'll give you as many seconds as you like. (laughs) Well, um, particularly over the last six months, we've seen seen a huge acceleration in online growth. Mm. And, and, And that was because customers didn't have that 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 option of going into a store to buy something. So mm-hmm. we worked really hard on 
um, ensuring that we were meeting our delivery promise. Um, we gave customers more delivery options. Um, we gave customers more returns options also. And by making that service as fast and as quick as possible, um, that enabled us to to, to see some, some quite significant online growth over the last few months. Um, what we'll see over over the coming 12 to 18 months is is further development of that mm. to, to build in that flexibility and for us to continue continually refining the messaging that we send to to individual customers to increase its relevance and th- that we're really just talking about things that that, that hit a sharp point for them. So in your case, we would be talking to you a lot about trainers, mm-hmm. but the trainers that you are likely to like. And we'll continually be building that picture about you so that we can be as relevant as possible within your life. And then, then in the background, um, we'll be working on ensuring that we've got um, very, very clear data flows and that we can build services on top of those data mm. flows. We'll also be working with our partners, um, looking at their technology roadmaps, um, looking at our own experience roadmap and and choosing from there those things that are likely to give the most benefit to our customers. But what I think is key for Irish businesses such as ourselves is that we provide um, the Irish customer with a service that is better than international online retail brands be that through our product selection product relevance delivery returns options um, even our em- environmental credentials mm-hmm. so as an example there the bags that we use for shipping are made from sustainable sugar cane they're completely recyclable in dublin city center we've been working with our courier partner um, ups so we deliver um, we deliver around dublin using um, electric vehicles through an eco hub in the city centre. So actually being mindful of, of these things and making changes to to work to the way that we deliver service to our customers is, is continually important for us. And that is all we have time for this week. If you missed any of this show, you can listen back in full up on Newstalk.com. But don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Just search Embedded Tech in Town wherever you get your podcasts from. My thanks to researcher Sonia Tutti for from me, Jess Kelly, until next week, take care. Embedded Tech and Town on News Talk. Thanks to Salesforce. Celebrating 20 years helping Irish businesses, people, and communities grow.